I want to ask you to please give your attention to the book of Colossians today. We'll begin our reading in the third chapter, verse 1. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. While you are turning there in your Bibles, and we will do our best to show it on the screen, I want to mention to you, if you are new to us today, I had not mentioned this earlier, in front of you in a seat pocket ahead of you, there should be a connections card. Kip is holding one up there. And if you are willing, would you please fill that out? And I will just share with you what you can do after you fill that out, whatever information you're willing to give to us. As you are headed out, there's a table in that little hallway on the left. And there's a box, a black box uh, there that you can slip that uh, connection cards inside of. And um, we just uh, use that to know who is here. I promise not to make a pest out of myself and bug you. You may get a little letter or a thank you card just for coming. So we ask you if you're able and willing to fill that out, put it in the connection cards box. And I remind all of you on that card is a place for you to write down a prayer request. And I, I take uh, time, I think part of my responsibility as your pastor is to pray for you. And so every day I'm in here and I'm praying for you. And if you write down a specific request that you would like for me to pray during my prayer time, pray for during my prayer time in a week, I'm privileged to pray for you. If it's confidential, you can check it. I'm the only one that will see that card and I will pray over it throughout the week. So just know that. I just want to remind everyone of that. Going to Colossians chapter 3, beginning with verse 1, we read these words as inspired by the Holy Spirit. Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator. Here there is no Jew or uh, Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slaver, free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you and over all these virtues, put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. And let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with grateful gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word today. 
I have a friend who um, I was in a conversation with and somehow we got on this conversation about being in physical condition and just how easy it is to be out of shape and how hard it is to be in good physical shape. And my friend said to me, he says, listen, Ken, if I could pay to have a, a six pack abs, if I could just if there was a price that I could pay and it just would happen if I would be able to lay down on a table and have a procedure. And when I, I got up, I'd have six pack abs. I would pay that price. I would take if, if if I could possibly do it, I would put the money together because that's really what I want to have. I want to have rock hard stomach. I want the you know, the, the little little pads there that you get from your stomach, your abdominal muscles coming together. I want abs, Ken. And, and he just kept saying, if I could afford it, and he said, I would pay it. Whatever the price would be, I would pay that kind of money. I'd pay a lot of money if I could just have somebody give me abs. And I pointed out to him, you know what, my friend? You can have abs like that. And he just stared at me for a second. I said, if you diet correctly, if you exercise and do the correct exercises, if you do the hard things that you have to do, my friend, you can have abs. It's in you. You can do it. And he looked at me with great disdain. And he said, I don't want to go through all that I would have to do to have rock hard abs. I want somebody to give it to me. I want somebody to do the work for me. And his whole mindset was, no, I don't want to be hungry because I'm not eating what I want to eat all the time. I don't want to do the hard work and the pain go through the difficulty that it takes to get rock hard abs. I don't want any of that. I want somebody just to give them to me. And you know what? I was thinking about how many of us are a lot like my friend, aren't we? Where we want results, we want them now, we want something to happen, we want stuff to happen to us, and we don't particularly like having to travel through the hard stuff to get there. And I would love to tell you that I've never been there, or I've never thought that way, or never had that attitude, but I can't. I still remember the day that I was home and, and I uh, had finished working and I happened to come home and turn, flip through the, I was channel surfing as men do. I'm very good with a remote control. I just want you to know. And I was flipping through and I saw this infomercial on TV several years back and it impacted me because on this infomercial were guys who were just sculpted, man. They were really well built and, and they were selling a product. And I'll show you the product because I was dumb enough to buy one. (laughs) There it is. The body blade. Okay. They were selling this thing. And they show these guys. This is an exercise device. This is probably precursor to the shake weight. So the way that you do is this. And you just keep shaking that bad boy. You can go like this. Everything jiggles. Okay. You go up and down and all you have to do is sit in your chair and do like, and your arms are going to be massive. You're going to have a huge chest. And I thought to myself, I can exercise with something like this. And I got all excited. They even told you that if you know how you can practice a golf swing or something. I don't know. There were all kinds of exercises that you can do with the body blade. And I'm looking at these guys on TV. And of course, at the time I looked at it, I was about 40 years old. These guys were 20-something. And of course, they were rock hard. 
I was rock hard when I was 20-something, you know. And so I'm looking at these guys. I said, man, I want guns. You know, I want to I want to be a beast. And I'm watching all this. And I spent a ridiculous amount of money for this piece of fiberglass or whatever this is. And what I discovered after I used it for a little while is this is hard. I know it doesn't look hard. But after a while, you get tired doing it. You can hear I'm out of breath just from doing that. And I discovered that's no fun. And I'd look in the mirror after a one workout and said, well, because what happened was I wanted the results now. And I discovered that I didn't like doing the hard work. I didn't like doing the hard stuff that it would take. You know what I believe? I believe that if I use this faithfully and regularly, this would tone me up. It would it would it would get me in better shape than I'm in any anymore now. Anyway, it would be better for me. But the problem with this thing is it sits in the closet and I kept it. Now, I'll tell you why I kept it to remind me not to be stupid anymore. <laughs> this is dumb. I spent a lot of money on the body blade and I didn't use it. And so I keep that to remind me, don't do that anymore. Just very quickly too. one other thing I use that to remind me is that. I can have all of these that I want, but it doesn't benefit me if I don't use it. Okay, so we don't want to do the hard stuff. That's kind of how humanity is. It certainly is true in my nature. And so my friend isn't the only person like that. I remember talking to an extremely gifted pianist friend of mine who unfortunately passed away at an early age, but he was a gifted pianist. My friend Keith played for a lot of big names, um, and, and he was called upon all the time. He was a professional piano player, and he could play anything, and I'm not kidding. He just had ridiculous talent. He could play things by, you know, the, the term by ear. You, if you would hum a song to him, he could, he could just play it so beautifully. And, but put the most complicated piece in front of him, and he would sight read it and play it beautifully. His talent level was unreal. And I remember him and I talking about his, his ability to play piano. And he acknowledged, he's a godly man, he acknowledged that God had given him the aptitude and, and talent to develop, to become the piano player he was. But he said often people, and they meant it as a compliment, would come to him and say, Keith, I wish I could play piano like you. Oh, my goodness, what a great piano player you are. I wish I could do it. I wish I had that gift. I wish I had the gift that God has given to you. And he understood it to be a compliment. But he said to me, you don't know how many times, at least one time, I would have liked to have looked at somebody and said, no, you don't. You don't wish to play piano like me because if you did, you would practice the many hours that I have practiced. You would go to Juilliard and you would study like I had to. And you would learn because you worked really, really hard. My friend has a point, doesn't he? You know what? We can wish to do something. And and again, our mentality is where's the magic wand that you can wave over me and just give it to me. That's how we can become. Do you know that in the year 2015, 11 million cosmetic, surgical, and non-surgical procedures were performed in the United States? 11 million of them. And the total for that, the dollar cost, was $12 billion. 
$12 billion, with a B, was spent on cosmetic surgery and non, non-surgical procedures. That's a big money industry. And why is it? Because so many people want results without having to really work on them very hard. That happens. And more than likely, many of us here today are guilty of wanting something without doing the hard thing that it takes to get there. I need to tell you something. It is in, it is in the realm of possibility, and I'm never going to do this, but it's in the realm of possibility. If I wanted to shed all of my excess body fat and I wanted to be in really good physical shape, I probably could do it. If I wanted to dedicate myself to it and do the hard things I need to do to be in excellent physical shape, I probably could do it. And frankly, so could you. The issue is, do we want to do what it takes to get there? Our issue is we want shortcuts and we want the magic wands waved over our heads and we want what we want now. I think there are too many Christians, especially here in the United States, that want God to work this way. I have some issues in my life and there's problems I'm having and I'll just give an example. Some Christians have not all. I have a bad temper and I'm a Christian. I love the Lord, but I have a bad temper. I can't control my temper very well. So here's what we want to do. We want to make one trip to an altar rail and we want to kneel there and we want to let God show up and poof, your temper is gone. I fixed you. We want to, we'll even cry if that helps us. But we want to go to an altar and we want God to fix everything. Wave the magic wand, God. Do whatever you do. But, and, and, and fill me and anoint me with the Holy Spirit. Whatever it, it's called, I'm coming up. I want you to fix all of this so that when I walk away, I'm a totally different person. And what we don't want to do is the hard stuff. We just want God to do it. We want results. If we have trouble with our tongues, Jesus, just fix it. Or at least cover it up. At least hide it so that I don't have to go through the embarrassment of, of the things that are, be, are coming. Here's the problem. We, here's the problem that, that with our mentality. It does not line up one little bit with the word of God. Our God does not do cosmetic surgery. Our God doesn't just cover up our flaws, doesn't just kind of hide them or make fake exteriors and facades and hold you up like that. What God wants to do is deep heart surgery. God wants to do hard things and take us through a process where we are changed incrementally by the power of the Lord, the Holy Spirit in our life. That's how God's word Directs us to live. That's how God worked. He's not interested in hiding our sin. He wants to do a deep cleansing. He doesn't want to just conceal it. He wants to get rid of it. He wants it out of our lives. He wants to do that kind of work inside. It's a deep work. It's a cleansing work. He wants to do it for us. He wants to make entire shifts. In the depths of our very souls. A complete change from the. Inside out. Frankly, there's another issue among American believers. And here it is in a nutshell. A lot of us don't really care to change. We're good with who we are. We're okay with the way we are. Sure, we have character flaws and we even sin. And we know that that grieves the heart of our God. But he's a patient, merciful and loving God. 
So we don't really feel a big need to be changed. Hey, I'm on my way to heaven. I'm good. Doesn't matter that I sin. Doesn't matter that I offend the Lord. And so many of us aren't really in for change. Especially if God won't wave his magic wand. And that's an issue in the United States. Even if we know that our God wants to bring change to us, many of us don't want to yield to his will because it's hard. Can, I, can, we, can we admit that today? It's hard. It's hard to really change and to be changed. Our scripture here prefers, or refers to some real pain. It points to the unpleasant work of killing off ungodly, unrighteous thoughts and attitudes and actions, of killing them, of doing away with them. It speaks of ridding ourselves of things that aren't right in our lives. And we're told that we have to put on godly virtues, think God-honoring thoughts, and develop godly habits in our lives. There's nothing in the Bible that indicates that it just happens to us automatically after we receive Christ as our Lord and Savior. This is work. This is sometimes difficult. And it's unpleasant sometimes if we want God to work in our lives. May I ask you to ask yourself a rhetorical question and consider it to yourself. Would you ask yourself, does God want to make any changes in me? I ask you to think about that. If you are looking in a mirror, are there changes that... In your quiet moments with the Lord, the Holy Spirit would say, my son, I really want to work on this with you. This isn't pleasing to me. This hurts me. This is a problem in your life. This is creating pain. It creates distance between you and me. I love you. You're my child. But I want to change some things in you. Is it possible that he is speaking to some of his daughters today and saying, daughter, You know how much I love you, but there are things in your life that hurt and are offensive and bother me. There are attitudes or whatever, and I want to change this in you. One more question I ask you to consider. The second question is, if you know, and by the way, I think all of us would have to answer yes to that first question, honestly. I know there are changes that God wants to make in me. I know it. Standing before you, I will tell you, there are changes that God wants to affect in me. The second question is an important one. Honestly, do I want to change? Do I want God to change me? Do I want that to happen? So what kind of work is God going to do in you and in me? What process will he take us through? And how will it work? What will be God's part in it? What will be our part? Remember that we're commanded in Scripture to continue to work out our own salvation with fear and with trembling. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Now, periodically, as your pastor, I will invest you, or I'm sorry, I will, sorry, ask you to invest in your own spiritual growth through the purchase of a book. I won't do this but one or two times a year. I may make recommendations to you, but... One or two times a year, I want to have a series with a companion book. And today, I'm launching a series with a companion book called Soul Shift. 
This is a book written by Steve Deneff and David Drury, some wonderful, wonderful people. And I, this, is, this book will be a companion to the sermon series that I'm preaching to you. And I'm calling the sermon series Soul Shift. And, but it's an investment of about $12. Now, that's roughly the cost of a cheesesteak and a Coke. If you want to know, okay? So if you could forego a cheesesteak and a Coke, you could have that 12 bucks and you could buy this book. But let me say this, and I mean this with all of my heart. If there is anybody here in our church who wants this book, you can't afford to purchase it, but you want a book, I want you to tell me because I will make sure that if you really want a book and if $12 is too difficult, I'll help you without any questions asked. You come to me, and I'll make sure you have a book. I want the church to follow along, and I want to recommend that you read it. I will tell you that you aren't going to be behind at all because I'm only referencing this book today. But a lot, a lot of what I say today sets up our sermon series, and this will be a great companion. And here it is again. It's an investment in your spiritual growth. I know that some of you don't like to read. I, I will tell you that I have to read for a living. I'm not one who necessarily looks for opportunities to read a lot. But I read because it's good for me and I do the hard stuff. Okay? So by nature, I'm not that much of a reader. This is an easy read and a good read. You'll enjoy this, okay? I promise you the stories, the anecdotal stories and things in it are compelling enough. It will keep your interest. And so I'm asking you to consider getting this because we're going through a series and it will be called Soul Shift. And we're going to look at those things, those changes that God will walk believers through that are on a soul level, deep down inside. We're going on a journey that will challenge you, and I know that. We're going on a journey, and some of you will love this journey, and some of you will go, eh, not so much, and some of you may even hate it, because I am going to be challenging you to let God the Holy Spirit change you from the inside out. Soul shifts right in the very core of your being to make a shift in the way that you think, to make a shift in the way that you behave. And that's what I need, and that's what many of us need. And by the way, that's what God the, Holy, God the Holy Spirit, God the Father wants to do in our lives. I'm finally coming back to this passage of Scripture that we read in the beginning of this sermon. And I want us, this is setting up just how God will work in our lives and how this ties in, and at least I hope it can, tie in and, and be meaningful to you. Here's all I'm asking us to do, is to note three things about this particular passage. Let's first look at what this passage says Christians are. Let's see what the passage says that a Christian is or who we are. Phrases like, you have been raised with Christ, for you died in your life is now hitting with Christ in God, Christ, who is your life, God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. These phrases found in our text tell us something about who believers are. We have been crucified with Jesus Christ, meaning we died. I remind you that before Jesus would redeem you, before you came to the Lord, the scriptures tell us that we were dead in our sins, dead, not even aware of God. Unable to perceive our own need of a savior. Dead to the truth. Not able to really understand the word of God. Not able to do one thing to change how lost we were. We were in trouble. 
and in a desperate need of a Savior. Unable to change our own spiritual condition. To quote the preacher's homiletic commentary, quote, there was a time when we not only lived in the world, but to the world and for the world. We were wholly captivated and absorbed in the pursuits and enjoyments of the carnal mind. We weren't capable until Jesus made us alive to even think the way that God has us to think. We, we can't make ourselves holy. I've said this before. A person trying to make themselves holy would be like a romance novel trying to make itself the Bible. There's no way to do that. And I could never make myself holy. I needed a holy savior. Only through Christ was I made alive. We've been raised with Jesus Christ. We have come to a new life. Well, why then, Pastor Ken, did you just read that we're crucified with Christ? We died to that old life. We now are alive to a brand new life. We're done living in that other way. And now we have a new life to live. We're raised up with the Lord Jesus Christ and through him. And so we are united to him and praise the Lord. We have such a strong union with Jesus that now we get to participate in everything that God has done in Christ. It all now is with us. John 17 clearly teaches that Jesus prayed that we might become one with him. And that happened because God the Father always hears the prayer of Jesus. Based on that, try to appreciate the phrase that you've been raised with Christ. It means that you have the same power of the resurrection in you because of Jesus. Because you are linked to him. You are joined with him. The power of his resurrection is our power because we belong to him. We're raised with Jesus Christ. We have life in us and we have power in us. Praise the Lord for that. Our life is now hidden with Christ in God. Now that phrase speaks to the fact that we're so united with Jesus Christ that we are joint heirs with him. Meaning, whatever God the Father gives to Jesus, we get to share with. We're that united with Jesus. It speaks to the fact that we are considered even considered his body. That's what Jesus said about the people of God. And you'll remember that when Jesus confronted Saul on the road to Damascus, when he was persecuting the church, Jesus said, why are you persecuting me? Why? We're so linked to Jesus that if you mess with one of God's children, you mess with the Lord. That's how much he is aware of who we are and how linked we are. When somebody messes with us, they mess with Christ. So hidden with Christ in God are we that no one has the power to snatch us out of the hand of God. That's the power in us. The secret of our life is Jesus. The secret of our power in prayer is this union we have with Christ in God. Our victory over sin and Satan is hidden with Christ in God. We're chosen people. That's what the scripture says. We belong to him. So we're made holy because of him. And we are dearly loved. I don't even have time today. Maybe one day I'll preach a sermon about how much God loves people. Maybe I'll be able to do it some justice. But let me say to you, I only mean begin to have the time to tell you how much God loves you. Whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever you have done, he loves you. With a deeper love than you'll ever comprehend. The one 
crude illustration that I use all of the time in speaking about the enormity of God's love would be as if I were to take something about this size and fill it up with water. That would be my capacity to love. If I were then to walk it to the Atlantic Ocean and set it down, that would be God's capacity to love. You can't understand the enormity of how much God loves you, his capacity, his ability to love. I want you to know that if you belong to the Lord, he loves you far more than you and I in this human flesh and in this human condition can comprehend or understand. Because of Jesus Christ, he loves us so very much. Have you ever wondered or considered why it is that you've been so blessed and privileged that out of all the billions of people who have ever lived, you got to hear the gospel of Jesus. You many times got to respond to the, the, the gospel. Why? Why you? Why me? I've asked that question, honestly, and I don't have a good answer. I don't fully know why I've been chosen by God to know about him. But I praise him for it. And I love him. And I thank God that he loves me. Because of Christ, I'm somehow made holy. And there's nothing holy about me. Nothing except what Christ has done. Are we starting to get a picture of how much we mean to God? Are we beginning to understand more about our standing with our Heavenly Father? We have Christ's name. We have his spirit. We have his authority. That's what these verses are telling us. That's who Christians are. That's who God's children are. We're alive in Jesus. And Jesus is alive in us. I don't know how he does this. I don't understand. The Bible tells me that the, that the God who created this universe is so big that he fills the expanse of the universe. Meaning those stars where it took light thousands even millions of years to reach our earth, traveling at the speed that light travels at, traveling all that distance, those stars have God present there. And yet he's present here. How does a great big God like that fit in the heart of a human being? I can't fathom how he can do this. But that's who we are. We have Christ in us. We're the temple of the living God. He is, he is the indwelling inside of us. And based on these 17 verses alone, we understand that we have everything that we need to be what God would have us to be. God's man, God's woman, please don't look at me and try to give me a case for, the, for you not ever being able to change. I want you to know that God can change you if you're willing to do the hard stuff. Are you willing to yield? Are you willing to let God work? We are fully equipped to honor God. We are fully equipped to not live in a a way that is displeasing to him. Note what this passage tells us to do. Because this is important. Here are some of the action phrases. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Rid yourselves of all such things. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Be, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you have with one another. Forgive as the Lord God forgave you. Over all these virtues, put on love. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let the word 
word of Christ dwell in you richly. And whatever you do, whether in word or do, deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, time doesn't permit me to cover every one of these phrases. I won't. Don't get scared. All I want to do is kind of lump them together and do my best to communicate the application here for us. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul, on the onset, cuts right through the entire periphery of the issues in our lives. And he hits the heart of God's deep cleansing in our lives. And he does his work, folks. If you want to change, God will affect change in you if you're willing to do your part. We're admonished, no, we're commanded to do some things here. To set our hearts and our minds on things above. Let me just say to you that in the King James, that word hearts, uh, set in our hearts, is affections. But it's the same thing. It's the, the deep part of us. And we are to begin right there. And may I just come back to something I said. That's part of the issue with American Christians, a lot of us. We don't want to do that. We're good with where we are. And we don't, yes, we're aware we may have to, we should probably change. But it's a bunch of hard stuff. We just want God to fix it and we want to go on our merry way. But we start out by thinking the thoughts that God would have us to think. And we set our love and our affection on the God of heaven and earth. And we don't need to be in love with the world we live in. We need to love the people. The Bible says that very clearly. But we don't need to be in love with stuff. We don't need to be in love with all the other trappings of this world. That messes us up every time, Christian. We need to set our minds and our hearts on God. Here's what I believe. I believe that my God deserves the best love that I can offer to him. Look what he's done for me. Look what he's given me. Look how good he is to me. The meaning is clear. God can only work with the one who is more in love with him than they are the things of this world. So set your minds on him. Set your hearts on him so that he can begin to do foundational shifts in your soul. Because it's not easy. And can we just all admit that it's hard to have change happen in our lives? Here's what I know about God's design for each Christian who is here today. Because of our union with his son, our thinking and our longings need to turn heavenward. And we need to think about what's ahead of us in Christ and what we have in Jesus. Our point of view should be altered and our aspirations should be tilted toward godly aspirations and godly uh, uh, God honoring things. We should begin to look away from the earth that we once lived in and was so involved with. There are verses here that are challenging to us. These verses talk about putting to death whatever belongs to our earthly nature and ridding ourselves of the things that don't belong in our lives. Let me just say this to you. That's something for us to do. Sometimes the very best prescription for us is to stop. Just stop it. I mean, if we have a problem with our tempers, and we know that certain circumstances develop a, a, an issue where we're going to blow our stack. We need to stop doing that. We need to relax a little bit, right? If, if there are men here who have a lust problem, guess what? There's probably things you should, not probably, there are things you should never look at. 
You just need to stop looking at them. Because that's where it starts. We got to put the death, the ungodly stuff in our lives, and we got to change things. I told you about a process that God walked me through, and here it even says, don't lie to each other. And I told you uh, of the story of when the Holy Spirit pointed out to me that I was telling lies. I was preaching sermons and I was giving sermon illustrations and my fish that were really this big somehow ended up this big when I was preaching sermons. And the Holy Spirit would yell in my spirit, I, not out loud, thank God, but I would hear, that's a lie. I was like, holy smokes, I just said the fish was, you know. And I'm telling you, it convicted me. Why? Because it offended my God and I love him. And I didn't want to be a liar. I don't want a lying tongue. And this was happening when I was a youth pastor. I'd be telling a story and I would blow it up too much. And, and it was it was just embellishment. No, it was the sin of lying. And the Holy Spirit was fed up with it. And he kept telling me every time I would say something, I hear it. That's a lie. And I I didn't know what to do. I told you this. I went to a preacher, an older preacher friend. And I said, what do I do about this? I'm telling lies. And I know I am. I feel awful. And he smiled at me. He sat down with me. He said, Ken, here's what you do. Here's how, how you deal with this. And let me tell you, just let me get to here. It was hard. I had to be willing to do the hard stuff to get rid of my lying tongue. I was so convicted about it. So anyway, he says, here's what you do. He says, the next time you're preaching or whatever, and if you tell a lie, stop and say, wait a minute. What I just said wasn't true. I'm so sorry. Really, the fish is this big. Let me promise you something that if you want to conquer lying in your life, it works if you do this. Because it's very painful to be preaching to somebody and all of a sudden say, have the Holy Spirit say, that's a lie. And you have to say, wait a minute. I just misspoke. I didn't tell you the truth. The fish was really this big. When you have to do that publicly a few times, pretty much solves the problem. It's sort of like being taken to the woodshed and whooped for what you've done wrong, okay? And I can tell you the first time I did it was with my youth group. And I knew and I stopped and I said, listen, I just said something I shouldn't have said. That wasn't true. Really, the fish was this big, whatever the story was. It didn't really happen this way. It happened this way. I had to correct myself. I was embarrassed. The kids looked at me like deer in the headlights. Oh, my goodness, we have a liar for a youth pastor. And that was bad enough. And the next week, the next week, I had the privilege of preaching in, the, in, in front of the entire church. The pastor took a week off. And guess what happened? I'm preaching away. And I said something, gave a sermon illustration. And the Holy Spirit said, that's a lie. And I swallowed hard. And I made myself apologize and acknowledge what I did. And I said, what I just said to you wasn't true. And I'm so sorry. And I corrected myself and said, really, the fish was this big. And after you do that a couple of times, guess what? It breaks the sin in your life. It took it away. I had to put it to death. It was hard. It was embarrassing. But I can say with integrity, I don't stand up in front of you guys and blow up stories because I don't want the Holy Spirit to say, that's a lie. I don't want that. And I can't just blow off the Lord and act like it wasn't important. There are things to do. And it's the hard stuff that we have to do. But the Holy Spirit will work in our heart and he'll direct us that things must die in our lives. Talk about a shift in our souls. Woo! Please admit with me that that's that's unpleasant. But it has to be done. In fact, it is just hard. 
But we must kill off things that belong to our carnal, earthly nature. It's drastic and it's hard. Listen, if you want to lose weight, and I just went through this. I, I just lost 45 pounds. And the way you do it is you don't eat as much as you like to eat. And you eat stuff you don't particularly like. Here's my, I don't get this. And I talked to the, my creator about this, okay? I want you to know. Had this before I went on my weight loss. I was whiny and upset and grumpy. Ask my wife. And so I just was like, Lord, I don't understand why you built me this way. Why do I like the taste of stuff that's bad for me? And why do I dislike the taste of stuff that's good for me? If it's green and leafy, I don't like it. No, it isn't. No, broccoli is not great to me, okay? But, but, but what I've discovered is what I had to do was eventually get, get my mindset where I needed to do and shift from living to eat to eating to live, right? And that's what I had to do. If you want to lose weight, you change the way you eat and you have to exercise. You have to. And it's no fun. I don't like losing weight any more than you do. I would like to just eat everything I want to eat anytime I want to eat it because it tastes good. Unfortunately, it has ramifications. And so we are to kill off things and do the hard stuff sometimes. We're not only to rid ourselves of things. And let me say this because we can't fall into legalism. And just ridding yourself of things and saying, I won't do this and I, I won't do this. I won't go there. I won't read this. I won't see that. If that's all you're doing, you are developing a legalistic and fatalistic relationship with your God. And he doesn't want that. What he wants to do is replace it. We put things on. We put on the righteousness of God, his love, his compassion. We work on things that we add to our lives. So when we, can, we subtract, we replace with something good. That's how you lose weight, by the way. I can eat food. I just have to eat different food. And that way, I won't gain a whole lot of weight. So we just add. We, we subtract, but we add. So let these things happen. We're told to add things and to do things that aren't necessarily easy, but will make us grow and make soul shifts within us. This is my last point, and it's very quick. Okay, I knew the first two would be pretty long. Notice what the passage says about our future. Verse 4, I love this verse. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Oh, listen. I talked a lot about this last week, so I won't take a lot of time. But this is talking about when the Lord returns to this earth again. And he will establish a reign and a rule here. This is talking about a time when Jesus puts one foot on the sea and one foot on the land. And he declares that time is never going to be anymore. He brings it all to an end. And he rules and he reigns in this world for a thousand years. And the devil finally gets his comeuppance. This is talking about leading to the point of the great judgment when Christians are ushered into glory, a new heaven, a new earth. These are exciting days for believers. And this says that when we do the hard stuff, it pays off. Jesus wants that for you so badly. He wants you to be with him. And here's my question. When Jesus comes back and he is coming back, how would you like him to find you? 
I want him to find me in the process of being changed and being made more like him. Do you want Jesus to find you more in love with the world than you are with him? Do you want him to come back and you are so caught up with other things that you've never even tried to change? That you're good with where you are? Really? Is that what you want? I don't. I want God to be making me better. I want to be more like Jesus tomorrow than I am today. And here's the good news. It can happen. It's possible. We have to be willing to do what is hard to see it through. Amen. So listen, if I would just take this thing out, much as I hate this thing, and I would just exercise with it. If I would just keep working, I could have the biggest right arm in the world right here. You know, this, well, maybe not that big, but I could make my muscles bigger. I could work out with it and I could use it. If I will use it and I will do the hard thing long enough. I promise you, if you watch the half hour uh, TV show and just did this, you, oh, you'll you be breathing hard. It's amazing. It, it doesn't seem right, even in one of those shake weights. But if I do the things that I want, I need to do, if I do the hard things, I eat right and all of that, I can be in physical shape. I can be healthy. It's just being willing. So I'm going to ask for Joe, if he's nearby. Joe, I saw you. There you are. To come to... I'm going to move this out of the way. Come to the piano. If you'll just, uh, we were singing How Great Is Our God. Or Is that the last song we sang, Joe? Yeah. If you'll just kind of play a little bit of that. And here's what I want to, to ask you to consider. I've just issued a very strong challenge to you. And there are two questions I ask you to consider. Are there things in my life that God would like to change? And am I willing to let God work on me? I will tell you, you are more than welcome. And in just a moment, we're going to close our eyes, bow our heads. You are more than welcome to make your way up front here. And we can pray with you. And I'm happy to do that. But really what I'm looking for is for many of us today to say, you know what? I'm going to invest in my spiritual walk. And whether you buy the book or not, that's not that's not why I picked this up. But I'm going to invest on my spiritual walk and I'm going to allow God to begin to affect some shifts in my very my very soul, because that's what I need. Is that what you are willing to commit to today, that in the next weeks to come, I will commit myself to God making changes in me. I'll open my my ears to the Holy Spirit. And I'll say, Lord, even if it's hard stuff, I want to do it. I'll do the hard thing.